Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is The Secret to Life, Mark 12, 28-34. And it was, when I was doing this in the title, it reminded me of the movie City Slickers. Remember City Slickers, Billy Crystal, when Curly, remember the old crusty Curly said, uh, he was talking to Billy Crystal, who his character was having this midlife crisis trying to find himself, and he said, the secret of life is... One thing. Remember that one finger he held up? It's one thing. Just one thing. Right? And, and, but he doesn't tell him what it is. And he's trying to figure out what it is. And finally, they, the, the point of it is everybody has to figure out for themselves what is that one thing that's the secret to their life. And Billy Crystal ends up saving a calf and bringing it home to the suburbs. And that gave him meaning to life, apparently. I grew up on a farm. I never found any meaning with the cows. But anyway, so the... Uh, the, that's, we're going to see that Jesus gives a, a much deeper meaning than a calf. You know? He's, he's going to give us a much deeper meaning, the true meaning to life today. If you can just remember the one thing he teaches us, it's everything. Now, as you know, Jesus is in a battle. We've been talking about this. Jesus is in a battle with the religious leaders. He's battling it out with them. They're trying to trip him up and take him down. It's like, a lot like a wrestling match. We were talking about the wrestlers earlier. Um, I've been watching a lot of wrestling lately and basketball, girls basketball. Uh, the, the girls, um, if you missed it, they've, they've had a historic season. Uh, we have several girls, Zoe and Sarah and Olivia back there, uh, having a historic season. They won the BAL championship for the second time, the BAL tournament. And they finally matched Patty, Patty's team, uh, from how many years ago? 36 years ago, they, they won districts and they're going to states. So, a very historic season. <clears throat> but the wrestling team has also had a very historic season. They won the BAL this year. Uh, we have several wrestlers uh, uh, Matt and Nick and Nate and Kyle and Derek, and some of these guys all wrestle. They won the BAL for the first time in a while. They won. District duels for the first time ever, so they went to states for the first time ever. Very historic, and they're going. Got a group of guys going to regionals, so very, very exciting too. Uh, and so I've been watching a lot of wrestling too, and uh, it's very tense wrestling, <laughs> very tense. But Jesus is in a wrestling match here. They're trying to take him down and take him out. And they keep shooting in on him, just like a wrestling match. They keep shooting in on him. They're trying to take his legs out from under him and, and, and really kill him, which is what we know they end up doing anyway because he allows it. But each time, right here in Mark 12, each time they try to take his legs out, he evades them. And then what do you want to do when they, they come in hard on you, Joe? Crossface. <laughs> he crossfaces. Joe's our, our resident expert on wrestling. And they, they come in, they shoot in, and what you want to try to do is crossface. Hit him right across the face with your arm. Moms love it when they see their sons get crossfaced. But anyway, um, the, today we're going to see how Jesus does that. He, he crossfaces the, the adversaries. This is their last attack they're going to have here in this part. In fact, next week we'll see he goes on the offense. And he turns this to his advantage. He puts the, his attackers flat on their back after this episode today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And, and we see his wisdom and his power in your word here. Pray that 
you would build our faith through this and also help us to remember the most important thing in life through the words of Jesus today. We pray that in his name. Amen. Okay, well, read the passage first of all. Mark 12, starting with verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So we see the very, very first, verse 28 again, the, the most important commandment. He asked this question. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important. Now remember, this is important to understand with the background what he's asking. Religious leaders that are questioning Jesus, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes here, they think that they're saved by following the law. They think that by following the law, they're going to get right with God and get to heaven someday. Just like many today, right? In the USA today, we question most people, most things. Well, I'm trying to be good enough to get in, and that's going to be okay. As long as I'm good, I'll, I'll get there somehow. God weighs the good and the bad, and, and if my good outweighs the bad, then I'll get there. It's delusional, but that's been the human pride from the beginning of history, right? So they missed the whole point that the law was only there to show them their need for forgiveness. The law was only given to show them their need for God's grace and mercy, God's plan was always salvation by faith in God's grace. It was always that. In fact, Genesis 15, 6, right in the book of Genesis. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. How was Abraham saved? By believing. That's the same, it's a word for faith. He believed God and that was his righteousness. Habakkuk 2, 4, the end of the Old Testament, toward the end, one of the prophets. But the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous live by faith. It's by faith. It's always been faith. But the religious leaders in Israel at this time had missed it. They came up, they had perverted God's plan of salvation by faith, getting right with God by faith, finding forgiveness through his mercy and grace. They perverted it and they came up with a man-made system of rules that if you just follow the law that was given to, to show the need for putting our faith in Christ, to, to the lamb, which is a picture of Christ, to, they came up with their own system saying we're taking that law that was only meant to show us our need of God's grace and they said you can be saved by being good by following that law. They came up with their own system of salvation. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 10, 1 to 4. When Roman, in Romans 10, the apostle Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. 
Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ, when he says he's the end of the law, that word means completion of law. He completed it by dying for the, the righteous demands of the law. He took it upon himself so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And they missed it. And that's why these religious leaders missed Jesus Christ. Because they didn't like what he was saying. They thought they were good enough to get into heaven by following their man-made laws and their rules. And they thought they could do that. Just like today, so many. A lot of you grew up in Christian traditions that taught a man-made religion. That taught that if you just followed rituals and, and rules and, and, and human leaders on this earth representing supposedly representing Christ, if you just followed those people, you were going to be right with God somehow. And, and they, it's the same thing. It's a work salvation. But work salvation does not work. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are saved by putting our faith in God's grace, his gift to us, his son Jesus Christ that he gave for us. That's how we're saved. So this guy comes along who believes that he's going to get right by, being, by following the law, and he asks, what's the most important command? And to understand this question, the Jewish rabbis had taken the Old Testament the law, and they had counted three, 613 commands in that law, 613, and they divided it into heavy and light laws and into great and little laws, and they came up with 365 negatives and 248 positives, and they loved to discuss which was the number one. They loved to discuss it over and over and over again. That's all they like to talk about. So that's the background. What, what is the number one law? And that's what he's asking. So in verses, back to Mark chapter 12, verse 29, this is the background to why he asks that. And Jesus gives him his answer. Jesus says, the most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus comes back with a quote. How does Jesus usually answer? With the word of God, his word. And he comes back with Deuteronomy 6. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5, we'll read this here, from Moses that God gave to Moses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. And God, so Jesus answers with the Shema. Those from Jewish backgrounds know what I'm talking about. The Shema, it comes from the first word here in Deuteronomy, which is Hebrew, which is hear, hear, it's the great Jewish confession of faith. Those who are pious recite it each morning and evening. Every synagogue service starts out with the Shema. And he start, the, the Shema starts out with the Lord our God is one. Uh, now wait a minute. Uh, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus solved that for us very clearly in John 10.30 when he said, I and the Father are one. 
And when he said that in John 10, which they wanted to kill him for, he was obviously claiming, claiming divinity as the Son of God. But how can the two be one? Well, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, the word in Greek is neuter, which means thing. He didn't say we're one person. He used the neuter, which translated as we are one thing. We are one thing, not one. It's one in essence. We're one in essence, but we're two people. The Father and Son make up one essence, one thing. And now we know from the rest of the New Testament, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit make up one. Three people make up the Godhead, the one essence of God. And it's all throughout Genesis, through the book of Revelation, it's taught very clearly. God said, let us make man in our image. It's all throughout the Bible that the three are one. Very, very clear throughout Scripture. And so, then he goes on to talk about the most important command. The most important command is to love God. Love God. And he gives four ways to love God. Four ways. Love him with all your heart. Who sits on the throne of our heart? What do we treasure in our heart? Do we love God above all others? Love him with all of our soul? Who or what do we love with the deepest part of our being? Love him with all of our mind. What do we let into our minds? That's the battle, isn't it? Do we love God with our whole mind? What do we let into our mind? What do we set our minds on? Is the Holy Spirit in control of our, our minds? Are we letting our, the Holy Spirit fill our minds? And our strength, what, are we, what or who are we giving our ultimate energy to? What are we giving our real energy to? It reminds me of Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, 1 to 2, when Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. What is our heart, what is our mind set on? Is it things above or is it earthly things? But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, after he talks about how to love God... He then jumps into a second command, which they hadn't asked, but Jesus was happy to connect some dots for these guys. He gives them a second command, which is the natural result of the first one. And in verse 31, he says, The second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That comes from Leviticus 19.8. Just so you know, Jesus isn't making stuff up. Everything, everything he says comes from the Old Testament. In fact, there was, uh, I was reading one time and a rabbi was writing and he was complaining about Jesus. Says, I don't know why he's, every, you Christians think he's so revolutionary and why you think he's so amazing. Everything he said I could find in, 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 in the Jewish Old Testament, our Bible. Everything. And I'm like, exactly. That's the whole point. He came to fulfill it. He doesn't make anything up. He's fulfilling the Old Testament. Everything Jesus said, you can find. Jesus himself, you can find. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture of him. It's all preparing us for him. But anyway, in Leviticus 19, 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Comes from there. I remember when I was a kid, love your neighbor as yourself. 
And, you know, the whole thing, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you know, the, the, the connection there. And I remember, somehow I missed that in Sunday school. I got a little mixed up. And I thought it was do unto others as they do unto you. And I just remember going around with a real attitude. I was like probably five or six. I, I just remember having this attitude, you know. Someone did something to me, I did it right back again. Because God said I could, you know. And that's what I should do. Finally, my mom set me right one day. I'll never forget. She's like, what are you doing? Why did you do that? Because they did it to me. I go, well, what do you, that doesn't give you a, yes, it does in Sunday school. It says, do unto others as they do unto you. And uh, she showed me the rest of the verse there. Uh, as you would have them do unto you. That kind of wrecked my day. But anyway. This is the fifth way of loving God. The first way, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But there's a fifth way to love God. The fifth way of loving God is loving our neighbor as ourselves. It proves we love God the four other ways. See, you can say you love God all those other ways, but you can't visibly measure that, right? What is the only thing here you can visibly measure? How we treat other people. That's visible. We can see how we treat other people. people we, I, I can see how you treat people. You can see how I treat people. We can see that. It's a visible thing. And that proves that we have the four other loves. That proves that. Romans 13. In Romans 13, 8 to 10, Paul talks about this. And it says, he brings more out. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever, else, whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That sums it up, doesn't it? The way we can see that God's love is in us and we really love God is how do we love other people? It's what Liam and Jean just shared, how you guys have shown love to them. But that, and that, that is something about this church. I just really appreciate the love here. How you guys love each other. We don't have to program it. I don't have to say, oh, do this for people or do that. It's just, you guys just do it. Naturally, supernatural. Supernaturally natural. You guys just do it. It's not something we have to program here. It's great. But that's the love of Christ, and that's what we can visibly see. And a light goes on for this guy in verse 32, back to Mark 12, verse 32. A light goes on. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. A light goes on. This guy is locked in. After all the garbage Jesus is putting up, finally this guy, he, he gets it. Yes, to love God and others is more important than keeping those 613 laws. Uh, it, because it's fulfilling them. And he realizes that there has to be more to spiritual life in our relationship with God than sacrificing sheep. Because they're in the temple courts at this time. They're right there. We're going to see that in the next chapter. And there has to be more to God. Remember, a lot of you probably remember when the light went on in your eyes. There has to be more to a relationship with God than following these rituals or, or taking these, jumping through these spiritual hoops or following these laws or, or trying to keep this church's rules, trying to work my way into heaven or work my way into God's favor or get 
stay connected, stay close to God by following these rules. There's got to be more to it. And that's what happened to this guy. It, it, something went on. It's not about religion or rules or rituals, but it's a relationship. A relationship. It's not about how many sheep I can kill. Hosea 6.6, 6, he's really kind of paraphrasing what, what it says in Hosea 6.6 6 when he says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Yeah, the offerings were important to them, but that wasn't the point. It was to focus them on God. And focus them on their love for God. And focus them on God's mercy. That was the whole point of it. It's not about the religion, rules, rituals. It's a relationship. And this guy is being transformed before our very eyes. His heart is being touched. And look what Jesus says. It's wild in verse 34. This had to just shock everybody there. When Jesus saw that, that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. You are not far from the kingdom of God. In the Gospels, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is used interchangeably. It's talking about eternal life. But eternal life starts the moment you put your faith in Christ. Eternal life doesn't start when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life starts the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's when your real life begins. That's when the Holy Spirit comes and transforms us and makes us a new person. And it extends into eternity. But it starts at that moment. And he says you are not far from that. You're not far from eternal life. But what really hits the religious leaders so hard is they all of a sudden realize they weren't critiquing Jesus. He was critiquing them. This guy wasn't testing Jesus. Jesus was testing him. Testing him. And that's why they were shocked that paralyzed their plans, and that's why no one dared ask them another question. That was the end of it. How close are you to the kingdom of God? Every one of us has to ask this question How close am I to the kingdom of God? For many people, it's six inches. In fact, I would say most people I meet on the street, at school, at work, wherever you are, most people we meet, the distance between, the distance from us to the kingdom of God is six inches. The distance from our brain to our heart. Because a lot of people know about Jesus. You might be one of them today. We know about Jesus. We believe in him. I mean, intellectually believe. But we don't believe in our heart. And there's a big difference. Because most people in America believe in Jesus. They know it's a historical fact. There was a Jesus who did miracles, who, who died on a cross. It's a historical fact. There's really no, any objective person could understand that. And not only that, that he came back from the dead. The resurrection is a historical fact. His true historians believe it. The question, though, is not do we believe it in our here, but do we believe it in our heart? And there's a big difference. The word believe in English could be either, but the word believe in, in God's word is, means to be, put your heart's trust in somebody. To completely trust in them and depend on them. 
But there's a, there's a big difference, and the difference is six inches. How close are we to the kingdom of God? How close are we to the kingdom of heaven? Are you in the kingdom of heaven? Do you know you're going to go to heaven someday? Do you know that for sure? Jesus said in John 3, 3, he said, In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. We're all born physically. We all saw a little cute baby this morning. But have you been born spiritually? And there's a one-time, just as you're born physically, there is a one-time event that happens when you are born spiritually, when you're born again. It's when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not because we're good enough. We, don't, we can't earn our way in anymore. Only love will get us in. That's why Jesus Christ came. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that he gave his son to die on the cross in our place to take our punishment. He was our substitute. He was the lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just as these religious leaders knew that there had to be a a lamb sacrificed and they would put their hand on the lamb's head and they would slit its throat and the blood would pour out and that was paying for their sin. That was a picture of Jesus fulfilling that picture. That he came to die on the cross, that he was killed, that he gave his blood so that we could be forgiven if we will place our hands on the head. If we will put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Have you taken that step of faith? Will we act on his love today? And if we have taken that step of faith... As Christians, are we going to live in that love? Are we going to live in God's love? Do we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or are idols taking his place in our heart? Is sin blocking the Holy Spirit from working in our mind and in our heart? Are we wasting our energy on junk, on temporary things? A good test of this love for God, if we are in this love relationship with God, is it will show in our love relationships with other people. That's the test. Who is God calling us to love? Good poem. I, I, I just came across this poem a while ago. By C.W. Vandenberg. It says, To love the world for me is no chore. My only real problem is the, my neighbor next door. It's easy to love the world, right? It's hard to love that person. People. We can all think of somebody right now, can't we? Lots of people. The secret of life. Curly was only halfway there with the one finger. The secret of life is two things. Just put up your two fingers and look at that. You only have to remember two things. If you don't remember anything else I said, if you don't remember anything I said last week, the week before, if you don't remember anything I ever say again, it's okay because you only have to remember two things. Love God and love others with the love of God. That's it. Really love God and let that show with the way I love others with the love of Jesus. 
And, and that's the secret of life that God, that, that Jesus is giving us here today. It boils down to those two things. It's not 613 rules and it's not all this stuff. It's about love. Just two things. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? What has taken his place in our heart or in our mind, in our soul, in our strength? What do we need to put in their proper place so that God can be in his proper place? What are we giving our strength to instead of to God? As we're praying, maybe your prayer is, God, I need to focus on my love relationship with you. Not the rules, not what can't I do, but the excitement of a close relationship with God. A deep relationship that will give me true fulfillment. That will pour out and touch other people. Who is God calling us to love? Who is he laying on our heart right now? I know we can all think of someone that he's convicting us about really loving. And while we're praying about this, I want to ask those who are here today who maybe have never acted on God's love. Maybe you're still six inches from the kingdom of God, from heaven itself. But today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and just like this man in this story with Jesus, you are locked in. The Holy Spirit is speaking and you understand for the first time, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can have that life right now. Right where you're sitting, right where you're standing, right where you are right now, you can have that life by believing in Jesus, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who died on the cross for each one of us who rose again from the dead to prove he was the son of God so that we could have a new life in Jesus. You can pray that prayer of faith right now. Just say, God, I believe your son Jesus died for me. That he paid for my sin. And I repent of that sin. I don't want it anymore. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith, my complete trust in your son Jesus. I give you my life, God.
In John 6, 47, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you have life, everlasting life in Jesus. You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are in the kingdom of God. And you now have a relationship with God. A heart relationship. And it's going to change everything about your life in an awesome way. I want to encourage you to let somebody know that you've prayed that prayer of faith, that you've given your life to Jesus, that you've entered the kingdom of God. Let somebody know maybe you have a family member or a friend here. Fill out the card and stick it in the box. Tell me on the way out. Text, call, email. Let somebody know. Let me know. Somebody know. So that we can be excited for you and encourage you in your new walk. Father, I pray that every one of us would really know a love relationship with you. Every one of us would really know fulfillment and meaning in our life and your purpose for us. And, every, and, that, and I pray that your love would just pour through us, overflow out of us, touching many, many others. Everyone we come into contact with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.